Sarah, our sponsor Vionic is back today with their Vionic Vitals collection. These shoes are the most essential styles for everyday wear to get us ready for spring, which will be here before we know it. We've already talked about my Uptown Loafers and Willa Slip On Flat and your Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, but this collection also includes the Walk 23 Classic Sneaker. That is that unapologetic dad sneaker style that's so popular right now. And I was just thinking having all four styles would basically be like having a spring capsule wardrobe for your feet. Oh my gosh, that is actually such a genius idea, Megan. I love where you're going with this. You know, high quality shoes are such a classy way to elevate your wardrobe. And the styles in the Vionic Vitals collection really can be worn in your everyday mom life, whether you're running errands or dressing up for an occasion. Yeah, and let's talk about the comfort factor, Sarah. Vionic actually got started by revolutionizing medical orthotics. Today, they continue to use that science to make cute and comfortable shoes that can keep up with our active lifestyles. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Vionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 362 of the Mom Hour. I am Megan Francis here with Sarah Powers. Hey, Sarah. Hey, I'm excited for more listener questions. Did you realize? Well, you did because it says right here in our outline. But <laughs> that we, I did. <laughs> we separately we number these listener questions separately because they're kind of like their own little series. And this is the 39th time we've done that. So this is this is there are 39 listener questions episodes in our archives, which is kind of crazy. Wow. That is kind of crazy. Um, one of our favorite things to do, and I feel like this time we got so many good questions, like. So many different kinds of questions, which is really fun. Yeah. And we we really love to get your questions on any topics, parenting or not. Sometimes we do special more than mom related listener questions where we answer questions about our lives or like, I don't know, more fluffy topics, maybe hair care products. I don't know. Um, but often these are parenting questions that allow us to kind of dive into more specifics and actually also kind of like think back to when we were in different stages and yeah what it would have felt like to be in the situation that um, a listener is asking a question about. And they're really fun. It's one of our favorite things to do. Um, so we're always looking for those questions. And today we're following up from last Tuesday's episode. Yeah, we had four listener questions last week. We'll have four more today. Um, and I, I always like to just mention that we get a lot of questions that we don't answer. And sometimes it's because they really do fall outside our expertise. And we're, I think we're pretty good about being like, hey, hey, remember, we're, we're not doctors, dentists, psychologists, teachers, right. like we're, there's a whole lot of expertise we don't have. Sometimes those questions help us plan for interview episodes or another way to address a topic that maybe we don't feel comfortable or capable or confident right. about addressing in this format. But just to know that we do read every one of your questions that comes in. Um, yep. And on the note of interviews, Megan, you have been doing quite a few interviews lately, but not for the mom hour. What's, I know. what's going on? So um, if you've been listening to us for a while, you know that I have another podcast called Mother of Reinvention, and it's aimed at older moms. So in the 40-ish plus range whose kids are getting older and who are dealing with different life changes, like 
um, career pivots, divorce, um, some health issues or health journeys that might come with being in a different uh, stage of life. Lots of those kind of more midlife mom topics. And I do that podcast in seasons in groups of in, you know, 12 to 15 episodes per season. And we are back with season three. And we've got some really cool interviews. Um, the topic this this season is community. And I I guess I use that pretty loosely. It's like everything that we talk about in some way kind of ties back to this idea of us being in community together, but like different kinds of communities are mm -hmm. represented. And I mean, we're talking to moms who um, have things to say about everything from like using psychedelic mushrooms, which was okay. one of my most <laughs> favorite um, topics to an interview with a really young widow, um, an interview with the owners of a sobriety community. Like there's just, we're covering so many different topics that are related to moms in this stage of life. And we've now got, it's, it's launched. So there's a new episode out and we can just link up in the show notes. Yeah. To get there. Um, or you can just go to your podcast app and look for mother of reinvention with Megan Francis. Unfortunately, another podcast launched shortly after mother of reinvention did with a very similar name. Mm. So just make sure it's the one with Megan Francis in the title and you'll find it. That's the one you want. And if you haven't listened to seasons one and season two, I mean, cue those episodes up too. Yeah, because some good content. Very timeless, timeless yes. content. Excited for you. Very excited to listen. Um, another fun little thing happening, I guess it's not behind the scenes anymore. It's out in front of the scenes is <laughs> we are starting. Center stage. Center stage. <laughs> in front of the curtain. We are dipping our toes into the land of merch. That's the, I don't know, the creator term for like, stuff we sell that has our branding on it, our mom, our logo. Um, we redesigned our look and our logo and our artwork about six months ago now. And around Christmas, we, our internal team got coffee mugs. It was very exciting. Um, honestly, just for a little behind the scenes, this is all new to us, setting up an e-commerce store, the ability for people to purchase things from us. As you know, that's not the yeah. main way that we operate our business. We are a podcasting and, you know, media company. We don't sell physical objects. So thanks for those, first of all, who are patient because yes. we've heard that this is something you've <laughs> wanted. Years, for years um, now. But we have a little merch shop on themomhour.com. I'll link to it in the show notes and you can buy a mug. Mugs are, you know, highly requested. We have a few other things on there. Um, and watch our socials because we'll be sharing a little bit more about these products and these items and um, how you can get them into your hands. And we're excited. I think I feel very like I feel like our audience is so patient and so kind with us. So if we don't if we don't nail yeah. it this first time, I don't know, you still get to drink your coffee out of a mom hour mug. Right. And I, I also feel like um, this is just another example of the ways that we can be really slow. Yeah. But I like to think we're thoughtfully slow. Um, <laughs> We don't like to just jump into something just to do it um, unless we feel good about the way we're doing it. And we also are both busy moms. And so we don't want the things that we're doing here to take away from like everything else and be. So it's taken us a really long time to jump on. Like we made our first mom hour mug three years ago. At least with the old branding, like so long ago. And so many people have asked, how can I get one? And the answer was like, you can't because we're not happy with it yet. And we don't know how to do that. <laughs> right. We don't know. We only made a few. We made a few right. for our internal team. And so we never figured out a way to to publicly distribute or allow people to purchase. So, yeah, thanks for your patience, everyone. And we are excited 
Um, and we we do love our our current look and branding and would be honored if you all wanted to drink a warm beverage out of a mom hour mug. That would be so fun. Love it. Megan, spring is one of our family's busiest seasons with tons of time on the go. There are so many places to be and details to remember. And the last thing I need is the constant irritation of uncomfortable shoes. So today we're talking about the Vionic Vitals collection from our longtime sponsor, Vionic Shoes. These are the best essential shoe styles for everyday wear this season. So Katie on our team is getting ready for warmer weather in Chicagoland with a pair of Vionic's Bella Toe Post sandals. These are Vionic's best-selling flip-flop style, and they have a cute little bow on them. They come in nine great colors, but Katie chose a versatile black patent leather. They're super supportive for her high instep, and they even come in wide sizes, which is a great option. Yeah, the styles in the Vionic Vitals collection are classics that don't really go out of fashion. And because they're such great quality, they're going to last as well, even with daily wear, which mine definitely get. And I love that Vionic offers a 30-day guarantee. Wear them, love them, or return them for a full refund within 30 days. But I have a feeling after those 30 days, our listeners will love their Vionic shoes so much, they'll be ready to order another pair. Use code themomhour 15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Vionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya, is back on the show today, and I just really love this company. Typical children's vitamins are basically candy in disguise. They're filled with two teaspoons of sugar, unhealthy chemicals, and other gummy junk most parents don't really want their growing kids eating. That's why Haya, the pediatrician-approved, super-powered, chewable vitamin, was created. That's right, Megan. Haya fills in the most common gaps in modern kids' diets to provide the full-body nourishment they need. And Haya vitamins have a yummy taste kids love, too. So we were just talking to Katie on our team, Megan, and she was saying that when they get down toward the bottom of the Haya vitamin bottle, her boys are fighting over who gets the last one. Oh, I love it. And I also love that Katie can feel good about that, right? Haya is designed for kids of all ages and sent straight to your door. So parents never need to worry about running out. And we've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Okay, so we're going to do something a little bit different. We have two questions that are um, similar in that they sort of go together. Um, so we're going to let you listen to both of the messages. One is from Callie. That's about like when the right time is to start extracurriculars or when we started them in our family or whether it's even necessary to have a start time at all. And then we've got a question from Ashley about budgeting for them. So we'll listen to both of those and then we'll jump in with our thoughts. Hello, this is Callie. I had a question for both of you around extracurricular activities. I was wondering when each of you started different extracurricular activities for especially your oldest children. My oldest is turning four in a couple of weeks, and I feel like everybody is getting involved in various extracurricular activities from different sports, such as soccer, to music lessons like piano. And I just don't necessarily feel ready for that kind of commitment for my family, but I was curious uh, as to both of your take on when you started extracurricular activities for your children. Hi, Megan and Sarah. My name is Ashley, and I live just north of Boston with my husband and three boys. There are two, four, and six. 
Um, as activities are starting to open back up in full force in my area, um, and my budget is feeling it, I'm wondering how you've both budgeted for extracurriculars over the years, whether it be sports, music lessons, art classes, karate, um, for your multiple kids. It can add up very quickly, and we want to give our kids different experiences without breaking the bank. Thanks so much. Bye. So, Megan, in listening to both of these, it is occurring to me that with the t pandemic timing and with I don't know what things are like where everybody lives right now, that's always like the, the general disclaimer. But it does seem that opportunities for enrolling kids in things besides compulsory education or <laughs> or required child care are just really starting to ramp up. And it, it makes me think that moms are that means a bigger cross section of our audience is encountering kids extra extracurriculars for the first time because there was sort of like a delay. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So whether your kid is three, four, five or six, it's been two years since there was. Not, and that's obviously like a broad statement. I know that there has been stuff going on, but more and more people are starting to have more and more options for things outside of compulsory school or required childcare. And I think this brings up interesting points. And I loved both of these questions. Um, I guess I want to acknowledge what Callie said. I loved that she said, I don't necessarily feel ready for this for my family right now. I think we're almost her exact words. And I just want to validate, Callie, that four does seem to be a magical age where a lot of programs start at four. AYSO often starts at four. Dance classes starts at four. Martial arts will often enroll at three. But four, there's something about four. And I don't mean developmentally from the child and you as a mom. I mean from the people who run these programs. Four is like the magic age where they feel ready. Mm. I don't know. Maybe there are even... Um, teacher child ratio things that change at four or something. So you're not crazy, Callie. I think there is something that happens at age four where there is a bit of a rush to put kids in the various things. And I just want to reflect back to you what you said, which is you don't necessarily feel ready for that for your family. Um, and I think that's the most important thing that you said, because I think Megan and I sitting here would both agree that that's what matters regardless of what everyone else is doing. But since you asked, you asked us when we each enrolled our kids in things. And I would say that looking back, I think I did try one thing for each of my kids at four. And it was probably because like everybody else, I got a little bit um, excited about like a cute uniform yeah. or like a dance nothing recital. That, There's yes. nothing, like, <laughs> yeah. It's like you've worked really hard for these four years. And now to like Think of these next exciting milestones like playing on a sports team or doing a dance recital. It's fun. So I think I did exactly one thing for each of my kids at four. For one, it was dance. For a couple, it was soccer. I think those were the main things. And then guess what, Callie? We backed way off after that because none of my kids was particularly excited to the point where it made it worth the cost. And I mean the financial cost, but also the sanity cost to my family because I had other siblings to think about. There were evening practices. There was a financial cost. So I don't think I don't think there's anything wrong with starting to dip toes in at four. But I certainly think that if you don't feel ready and we have done this so many times on the show, talked about like you are not behind. You're not right. missing out on a college scholarship at four. And you might even be making a radical decision that is truly best for your family. So, yes, I did a few things at four. And then I would say six to eight is when 
I revisited the idea of paying actual money and driving actual places for extracurriculars, like more like between the ages, like first, second, third grade. I would, uh, I agree with everything you just said. And I would also add that it's really dependent on like family life at that time and like what the age ranges are of your kids and what the rest of your um, family could like lifestyle looks like. So for my oldest two, they did more extracurriculars when they were really quite small, like three, three, two, three, four, partly because I wanted to get out of the house. Yeah. And do, I really wanted to be out doing stuff at that, at that time. Um, for a couple of times we lived in towns where we didn't have like a great family network and that felt like a way to like for me to meet people and yes. for them to meet people. So it was just as much about me as them, but also it just like filled a need that we had at that time. Then later when I had like Owen and Clara who were like at the tail end, when they were in that three, four, five year age range, it was really disruptive to my school aged kids lifestyles for me to have yet more kids doing extracurricular. So it's one thing when you've got like one kid um, playing t-ball, but when you've got you know, a fifth grader who's got homework at night and maybe a third grader who's doing Taekwondo. And then you're also trying to fit things in for like toddlers, essentially, and preschoolers. It just starts to feel very crunched. So you might make different decisions for different kids. And I think that's also really totally fine. Like it's where are you in this moment and what do you value? There was a couple of years where I just really, unless it was something one of the kids really wanted to do passionately, and usually that was the older kids. I did not want to interrupt mealtime ever. Like it was, mm-hmm. that was the glue to our yeah. family's life. And I did not want to interrupt it. And it was not worth it to our family to do most of those things. So we were very sparing. And then we would pick things that like really worked. Like Clara did um, gymnastics because it was Saturday mornings. We had nothing else ever going on on a Saturday morning. So she did gymnastics Saturday mornings for, I don't know, a couple of years. I don't even remember when she started that. Um, the kids had access to different programs through the school yes. uh, school district or the city parks that were cheap and like an hour, which was great and much less of a commitment than like jumping all in on a team sport. So there were ways to start playing around in a very scaled back. And, and I know we'll dig more into Ashley's question in a minute, but frankly, affordable way yeah. where everyone kind of got that little experience, but it didn't disrupt anything else. And I always felt like when it came to things like that, almost always the, un- the good of the unit overrode the good of any one child, except in very like isolated incidents. I'm thinking of when I interviewed um, Kelly Rippon. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that because yeah. I was going to do the same. Yeah, so she's a mom of a former Olympic skater um and made some really interesting choices and she had five I think five or six kids yeah. like a lot of kids all of them by the way were also accomplished athletes and in different things like yeah. debate team and things like that and they all had their things going on but like she figured out a way to make it work because it was evident that this kid this was like he was like really into it and that was really something he wanted to do he also didn't start till he was like 11 right so I mean I know that's pretty unusual but it wasn't like she was schlepping five or six tiny children around to take a three-year-old to skating lessons. It was like this kid was able to sort of kind of figure some of it out on his own. He lived with another family for a while. Yeah. While in training for nationals, I think. I can't remember exactly. But that was a really good episode to listen to. I think if you feel like you want to support your kids in whatever their endeavors are, and if there's something they dream of, 
that they're willing to do the like to sacrifice for and they're willing to take all the way. There are frameworks you can put around your family life to make that work. For most of us, T-ball isn't going to be that thing, you know, or whatever it is. For most of us, it's like, does it fit or does it not? Does it add to our family or does it take away? And is it this year or can we wait next year? Does my kid care that much or not really? So like all of those questions are relevant and I don't think you have to be in any hurry. I agree. And I'm so glad you brought up the Kelly Rippon interview because it was so, so good. And I think unintentionally we or maybe just I have a reputation on the show for coming down hard on team sports and intense extracurriculars. And I actually don't mean to do that at all. My kids all participate. Actually, that's not true. I have a nine year old who has no activities right now. But at different times, my kids have participated at different levels in really involved extracurriculars. And I'm so seeing the value, especially with preteens and teens in everything that brings to our family. So I don't ever mean to knock it. I'm just a champion for moms not doing what everybody else is doing just because everybody else is doing it. And that's what I heard in Callie's question. And um, so I want to validate that you don't have to start at four unless you want to. Megan, you mentioned some really important reasons why that might be the right choice for your family. Meeting people, um, connecting with other parents, having your kids learn some confidence skills that maybe they're they're working on. There's so many good things about it, too. So. Um, yeah, just wanted to say that we make, we make room for all of that, but I definitely didn't really start my kids until six or a little bit older. So, well, and, and let me just add on to that really quick to say my personality type is to sometimes only see the benefits of something and not consider the downsides. And so it's especially hard when I see the benefits for my kids Mm -hmm. and I'm like, Ooh, this would be so great for them. They would have so much fun. And then and I fell into this trap, then not taking it the next couple steps and saying, but what will this actually mean for me and for the other kids? And like, can we actually add it in? Is there room? Realizing that literally everything you choose has a down, both an upside and a downside. And it's not about like depriving your kids of something because you don't, you're not ready for it. Um, It's well, maybe it is, but it's like, there's the, the deprivation is the downside, but what's the upside? Yep. Just like you flip it around. The Here's the upside of them doing this, um, this activity. What's the downside? You flip the other way too. Like, you know, there's a, always an upside and a downside and it affects everybody yep. on both sides. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay. So in the same general topic area, Ashley's question was about budgeting. And I was so excited about this for some reason, because I remembered really thinking a lot about this when my kids were smaller and there were, I, I mentioned this in a recent episode, but we just had a plethora of options around us. And some were very expensive mm-hmm. when my kids were these ages, both in Arizona and in Orange County, because it kind of spanned the ages. Um, so a couple of things that made that very budget friendly, and you touched on one, Megan, we made use of after school enrichment programs, not the after school childcare necessarily, like those were, that was usually provided by the YMCA or something like that. But our, our public elementary schools had after school, like 10 week sessions where you could try out whole bunch of things, volleyball, keyboarding, Lego, steam stuff. And they, they tended to be extremely affordable and the affordable was attractive to me. Even more attractive to me was that it just meant my kid got picked up at four 15 instead of (laughs) three ten or whatever the difference was. So there wasn't an extra place to go an extra drop off and pick up So that made it really both time, a time saver from the younger siblings, but also it was really affordable and they were like eight to 10 week sessions. So guess what? If you didn't like that thing, no harm, no foul. That was a big one we made use of. 
um, summer is coming up. And I think um, in a lot of places like VBS, like um, church day camps and some other parks and rec, there's YMCA, there's a boys and girls club, affordable ways to try out an activity for maybe one week in the summer. Um, and maybe also in the summer, it solves a childcare need because it's not in this case, in summer's case, it's not in addition to school. It's maybe instead of the childcare you're getting. So summer can be another time to try those things out without a huge commitment. Um, we did some dance for a couple of my kids and I, as you know, I was a dancer and I, I am supportive of the world of dance. I am also maybe a little bit, um, more critical of, of some student dance experiences. And one, one way to save money on dance is to enroll in the fall for whatever fall session is happening, because come January, February, you will be invited often in many cases to participate in a recital, which can cost a lot more money, including costume and other kinds of fees. Again, I am not knocking it. I'm just saying to be a savvy consumer. And what worked for our family was to do dance classes that didn't involve the recital. The recital was not interesting to my kids and involved a much higher financial commitment and time commitment. So we yeah. would do things like um, dabble and dance in the fall when there wasn't a big performance that they were working up to. And then exit stage left in the spring when the recital ramped up and we didn't, we didn't leave anybody high and dry. We just said like, okay, we're done with this for now. So I guess maybe educating yourself on the options around you and seeing if there is um, a less expensive or a shorter term commitment, because just remember you are being marketed to, and these are businesses that want your business so you might have to be a little, I don't know, a savvier, like the right word, like just a little bit more of a skeptical, critical, yeah. like a critical consumer. Yeah. Like yeah. This feels like a financial commitment we're not ready to make. Is there another option? Is there another studio offering a different way? And, and often there is. Yeah. I would add to that, that there's like almost two questions in any budgeting question. One is how to save money. Mm -hmm. Like, like you just gave a whole bunch of great ideas and I have a couple more to add to that. And then the other one is like, how much is the right amount to plan to spend? Mm. And that question becomes like, per, like at the age, like at an 11 year old, what's the right amount that I should be looking forward to thinking is correct to spend on 11 yeah. year olds extracurriculars as opposed to a 15 year old or whatever. Um, I think in all cases, I would add, Sarah, that you have to really look out for the other, like the hidden costs. Yes. Um, transportation, hotels as kids get older, like if they really get into a travel sport, there are families that are doing hotel stays like every weekend wow. during yeah. the season, meals out, uniforms or costumes like it's it, it can get out of control. So when, while you're choosing the path for a four year old or a six year old, it's also just smart to keep an eye on like, what if we get to like they're 10 and they turns out they're good. Yeah. And I've now set up this expectation that uh, competitive gymnastics or dance or whatever the thing is, is our thing. And, and not that you shouldn't do that because on the other side, I guess what I would say is that for, for a surprising number of families, there is financial assistance available with really expensive stuff. You might sometimes have to dig around to find it, um, but you might be surprised with where your income level puts you. You might feel like you wouldn't qualify, um, but like even in the theater programs I've worked in that take a big range of kids um, from like ages six, up to 18, I think was the age range of the shows that I was directing. You know, it was not a cheap camp. 
that it was like not a cheap program, but there was almost, I don't remember people getting turned away for some level of aid. So that's also worth looking into. And then to Sarah's point too, like look for the cheaper option. <laughs> like the YMCA might have a basketball camp. Yep. Uh, that's $40 for a session as opposed to a travel team or something where you're in for a uniform and a lot of other things. And that can be a great way just to test out if the kid's interest and see if they're even in. Or like the theater, um, you could take it through one of these camps that costs hundreds of dollars, sometimes much, much more for your kid to participate in a production. Or you can see if a local community theater is casting a show that has kids in it. Mm -hmm. It's essentially the same thing. Like they're still getting experience on stage. I would actually argue the experience they get at a community theater is more um, relevant and real mm -hmm. than the experience they get in something that's tailored just to kids. Like there, I was, I've been in so many shows where kids are in them and I was in shows with my kids and I directed shows that my kids were in that were just like regular all ages, like community theater productions. And you learn a lot about how to act around adults how to like be part of something like it's just a very yeah. different experience. So if you want your kids to go to like a theater camp, that's very that's not what you're going to get in a theater production like with adults. But you get a lot of value and there's no cost. Or if there is, it's like maybe you provide part of your costume. Yeah. But you don't it's not pay to play in yeah. quite the same way. So, yeah. Um, all Yeah. All that is to say, like. If you're asking the question how to save money. I, you've got so many options. And if you're asking the question how to plan for how much money you're going to have to spend in the future, that's a much stickier wicket. Yeah. And one that I'm still figuring out with my teenagers who every now and then surprise me greatly with the cost of something that they were never interested in before. Yeah. And now they suddenly want to do. And I'm like, what now? Right. This is really expensive. And there's no way I could have known last year that I should put a couple thousand dollars away for whatever this thing is. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I just take every one of them as they come. Yep. And but but always ask if always ask if there's financial assistance available because you might be surprised, which actually leads me to a funny memory when Jacob was in fifth grade and came home and was all excited because he won a scholarship. He didn't ask like we didn't have to do anything. It was merit based. Um, he won a scholarship to orchestra camp. And that surprised me because I didn't think he was particularly good and he really didn't ever <laughs> practice. So he won like a thousand dollars to go to this fine arts camp. That's quite, it's quite pricey. And I was all excited. He was my oldest. Mm -hmm. I really wanted him to be musical. I'd heard great things about this camp and I was like, wow, okay, great. And then he's like, well, I'm not going to go. I'm just going to keep the money. And I said, what now? And he was excited because he thought it was free money. Like he right. thought he wowed them so much with his violin skills that they were just going to hand him a thousand dollars. Oh, that's so funny. So I had to explain to him that, no, actually, the money would go toward camp. He didn't just get to have it. But then he was dead set on using the scholarship. And I believe the camp was I mean, it was a lot of money like that. That scholarship represented maybe a quarter of the cost. And I didn't think about uniforms. Right. And I didn't think about like um, camp, other camp things that you have to have to go to camp besides like the performance uniforms right. like that were expensive. Um, let's just say it was a very expensive vacation for Jacob. And I'm pretty sure after that, he never picked up his violin again. Oh, my gosh. That's so funny. So, I love it. And he was mad that he didn't get $1,000. So what are you going to do? Well, those were great questions. And I do think that this spring and summer, a lot of families are going to be weighing their options when it comes to extracurriculars. And I guess my the final bow I'll put on it is when your kids are three, four, five, six, and seven, you don't have to do this 
perfectly the first time you we can sit here from our vantage point and talk about what worked and what didn't and what we would do. But that's because we fumbled our way through. And I have experienced the sting of having kids overcommitted or paying a bunch of money for something that wasn't valuable. I've also experienced the desire to be more involved than I was. So you are you're going to you're going to try it and then you're going to figure out how you would do it next time. And that's kind of like how this goes. Yeah. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, so our next question is from Chelsea. Chelsea says, first off, love your podcast. Thank you so much, Chelsea. She says, my question has to do with gentle parenting. Do you guys ever use this tactic? And if you do, do you have any advice? I'm really struggling with being gentle and kind with my children and also getting them to listen to me. And what is the best way to discipline? I feel like my children truly never listen and they constantly fight. I'm just lost. I love the way this is phrased because I think when we touch on discipline, both Megan, you and I are we're we're always hesitant to say this is how to do it, because first of all, that's not what the show is about. And second of all, we're not experts in any way. But Chelsea asked, did you ever use this tactic? And that's the part I wanted to address, I guess, for me personally. But let's talk about words first. Um, gentle parenting is the phrase that Chelsea used. I'm not looking at the exact definition, but there are also phrases like positive parenting. Mm. There's a phrase respectful parenting, which comes from that like rye uh, philosophy. Positive discipline was a big yeah. catchphrase like a generation or half a generation ago. Well, can we quickly just like yeah. put a pin there and say like it can become very hard to parse these out depending on who you're talking to. Yes. Because there are people who will say if something is like um, like used to the point of almost being trademarked where it's like a philosophy or a method, uh-huh. um, it gets a little confusing because if you believe that you are a positive parent or a gentle discipliner or whatever the thing is and it doesn't fit with someone else's definition of that, you get like, you wonder sometimes if you're doing it right. Well, and, would you yeah. say, to turn it back on you, would you say that was kind of your experience with capital AP attachment parenting oh, versus like, parenting with uh, a mind toward attaching to your baby. And also it started to what I also noticed as a young mom is that attachment parenting started to take on tenants of like a like a laundry list of things that were never really meant to be associated with it. Mm -hmm. So it went from being like basically a kind, gentle, respectful parent who um, kept attachment in mind, which is kind of how it was originally coined and meant to be used in the original like books and things like I read about it. And then it became this whole other thing 
where other things got like lumped in with it that right. then you were also supposed to adhere to to truly be like a and if you did quote unquote attachment parent and if you didn't you were out yeah <laughs> like you were just out so it gets it matters because when Chelsea asks do we ever use this tactic I don't even think of gentle parenting as a tactic so much as a philosophy about the way I relate to my kids which means I don't know if I was or not because I don't know what somebody else would define that as. So I'm going to, I'm Chelsea, you can write to us and tell me if I have this wrong. But for the, I guess for the purpose of answering the question, I'm going to assume that what Chelsea means by gentle parenting is a generally non-punitive approach to discipline, where discipline becomes about setting boundaries and um, enforcing boundaries, but not levying punishment or consequences Period. I'm just going to stop there. I think that's what she means. And that, from my understanding, would stem from positive discipline and positive parenting. And so now after all of that prefacing, I will answer your question for me personally. Um, My mom was actually like a certified positive discipline instructor in the 90s through Jane Nelson's program, who wrote the original positive discipline books and you can still read them and there's the original positive discipline and then there's a million spin-offs and um yes that was my general discipline philosophy was starting with the assumption that um punitive consequences aren't necessarily accomplishing what I wanted to accomplish which was the root word of discipline which is to teach so to kind of help my kids eventually understand the impacts of their choices while not allowing behaviors that were destructive or harmful to our family. I think positive parenting, gentle parenting, and positive discipline get a really misunderstood bad rap where you people think you allow your kids to do whatever they right. want or mm-hmm. that you talk about feelings all day long and, honey, why did you do that? Like, mm-hmm. I just think it's really misunderstood. So, Chelsea, I think I would start by really doing a little digging yourself and understanding what you even mean when you say gentle parenting Um, And maybe start with some evidence-based books, podcasts, or learning. And if that feels right to you, if if you listen to Dr. Becky's podcast or watch her Instagram, or if you read Positive Discipline, or I can link to a couple other um, resources in the show notes. And as you kind of define gentle parenting for yourself or find a definition that's probably better than what I could give, if that feels like this is what I want, like this is how I want to be with my kids, that's probably a good clue that this might be right for you. So I, I guess, Megan, where where I'm not going to go is whether positive parenting is the only way to raise kids who make good choices, because I'm not prepared to say that. Right. Um, I do think it's what I gravitated toward. I do think it's worthy of more specific language to define it, because even as I say that, there's a part of me that's like, oh, OK, people are going to misunderstand that to think that I don't believe there's any consequences in life for any behaviors. And that's not what I mean. Um, so yeah, that's where I will let you jump in, Megan. Yeah. So I think that this again, and it's been a while and I'm, I purposely didn't go dig a whole bunch into like what gentle parenting with capital letters means these days, because it almost doesn't matter. It it matters what it means to Chelsea in this moment. Right. Um, and it sounds like from the other words, it's like, she doesn't want to yell. She doesn't want to be authoritarian, which is kind of where that whole philosophy of all authoritative, those Authoritative, right? I well, you don't want to up. be authoritarian. Authoritative oh. means that you're in control of your household. So right, it's like, you're right. Yeah. Sorry. 
But yes, so there's they like are two similar permissive, words. authoritative, and authoritarian. Thank so you. if you're authoritarian, then you're like telling, yelling at your kids, telling what they have to do, very punishment oriented. And then if you're authoritative, it's like you're the grown up in charge, but you are not. Um, but you're not punitive. And and then if you're permissive, you just let them do whatever. Right. So that's the spectrum, right? And depending on where you're coming from, why you're graduate, like why you gravitate toward gentle parenting to begin with, how you heard about it. Did you read about it in, a, in the book, like the, you know, the gentle parenting Bible, or is it just more of a generic term that, term that you've heard thrown around or absorbed? It can mean really different things. So I guess the way I would answer the question, did you ever use this? I would say I also definitely gravitated toward it. I remember having a really hard time when my oldest kids were like three and one. I feel like that's when the discipline wheels yeah. started to really fall off the bus. Yeah. And I felt very over outnumbered and overwhelmed. And I read books with names like um, Without Spanking or Spoiling is one that I really remember. And I honestly don't remember it. I don't know if it's still in in um, print or not. It was like a workbook style. And that was when I was first introduced to the idea that you could go a long way with um, redirecting, reflecting feelings back. Mm -hmm. Like there was a lot you could do before you had to jump to the punishment or discipline stage. Mm -hmm. Like you have, like I remember the empowerment of knowing that I had more tools in my toolbox than I realized yeah, that I did. I love and that. that. If, if I was a little bit creative and kept the end goal of my relationship with my kids in mind, yes. you're probably going to make the right choices for you. And it's going to be less about how do I get through this, this meltdown or this situation with biting the sibling or this time that they, you know, defied me. And mm -hmm. it's more about, well, what do I want this little look in a year or five years? So all of that said... What I also ran up against after finding out about all these amazing tools I had in my toolbox is that then you almost like gorge on the tools. And then it was like I almost had too many tools in my toolbox or I started to identify too closely with certain tools. And I remember actually getting into like debates online. And not even like a debates where I had anything intelligent to say, but honestly, me just feeling very confused about things like the difference between logical consequences and natural consequences and me being like, but what if the natural consequence only punishes me, mom? So like an example of that would be, um, or it's dangerous for the child, right? Yeah. So you've got like a two-year-old and the natural consequence of them running into traffic is that they get flattened by a bus. Well, that's not a, you, that's not going to work. I'm not laughing. I mean, but, I, there, <laughs> but there are other times when a natural consequence is safe for them. On the other hand, if the natural consequence of them never cleaning up after themselves is that mom has to do it, that's like the mom version of getting flattened by the bus. And that's no good either. So then it's like I go, OK, well, now that I know what natural consequences can look like and that it is a tool in my toolbox, that doesn't mean I don't sometimes reach for a logical consequence, which is different from punitive, like a punitive consequence. It's like, what are the logical things that happen yeah. to one when they are a terrible roommate and mess everything up and never clean it? Yeah. Or when they bite their friends or whatever yeah. it is. So there's so many tools and yeah. it's, it's so easy to fall into the trap of thinking you can only like only use this little section of the toolbox. Yeah. I, everything you said was so wise. And I think I'll just circle back to the relationship with your kid is sort of the foundation of whatever discipline strategy you decide is right for you. Yeah. And the tricky part about that is when you choose a relationship based model, whatever you decide to call that, it doesn't 
make perfect children who never misbehave. Yes. And so I'm going to speak with a very broad brush here for a second that the most rigid and punitive discipline methods probably produce the best short term results. (laughs) In yeah. the same way that the most extreme uh, sleep training yeah. probably is the fastest on-ramp to 12-hour sleepers at night. And that's where you, Chelsea, get to ask the question, which is the, which is the priority for our family right now? Um, and for me, it always felt a little better... <laughs> To deal, like you said, Megan, with the in the moment, like, okay, I've got a biter for this month. I've got a biter. And what are the strategies we're going to work toward not biting? Um, That was messy, but it came down a little bit more to a longer term relationship based strategy for me. And I think for the longest ever answer to the question, did you ever try gentle parenting? For me, the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. Me too. Uh, (laughs) Is that all? Did we solve it? No. Chelsea, um, and I, I think our like longtime listeners, Megan, are kind of giggling because we really do try to make space for for every philosophy. So if you know us really well, I guess you read between the lines. Chelsea, I will link up. Um, one time I rounded up some of my favorite toddler discipline resources on the blog and they're on the momhour.com and I'll link to that for you. Because it was something I was pretty into for yeah. a while there. Yeah. Just like you were pretty into your your AP militant yeah. AP. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I also just want to quickly like, um, call back to Chelsea's other statement, which is I'm really struggling with being gentle and kind with my children and also getting them to listen to me. Yeah. And sometimes those two things don't go together in the moment. That's, that's really yeah. like what this, and it could be the same if, if you were super punitive, like they might listen to you if they're afraid of punishment. But that's not the same as listening deeply yeah. like, or, or, or learning hearing to and learning choices independently exactly. when there's no punishment. So yeah. Those two things aren't like you just said, Sarah, aren't always going to go together. You can have the best discipline strategy in the world and your kids are still going to misbehave because that's what kids do. Yep. Um, and that's that's just truth. Just welcome. <laughs> just welcome, welcome to, to that. the mess. Yeah. <laughs> welcome to that. OK, our final question comes from Noelle. Megan, do you want me to read this one? Yeah. OK. She says, I have a question about mothers, helpers, and childcare. And she goes on to describe that they have three young kids, six, two and a half, and five months. And they have some neighbors who are 12 and 14 who are offering to kind of be mother's helper situation. And she is saying she has her hands full. She definitely wants to use them in some capacity. They don't have family in the area. So it's like, now what? What do you do with someone who's not quite ready to watch three young kids alone? How do you utilize that person? And then she goes on to ask if we've utilized teenage babysitters in the past um, and some other stuff. She says, I know it's largely dependent on the individual, but I'm not sure how to gauge readiness and ability of them to watch multiple kids or younger kids. Yeah. So I think, Noel, I don't know. I feel like this is like you're going to learn as you go. That was like yeah. what I thought when I read this. Well, it's like a, it's a, this is a gift. So yeah. look at it as a gift. I mean, it fell into your lap and that's great. I would say, yes, I have definitely utilized teenage babysitters and mother's helpers, both formally and informally, like mother's helpers who called themselves that and were doing it sort of pre-professionally. Yeah. And mother's helpers who were just older kids who wanted to play with my younger kids. Mm -hmm. And I said, yes, please. I would say probably the best way to start is to either have them watch like the five month old or the two and six year old so that they're not overwhelmed and you're actually getting a break. Like it wouldn't help her at all. I don't think for the 12 year old to only like 
play with the six-year-old for an hour if now the two-and-a-half-year-old's mad because the six-year-old has a yeah. special friend that they don't get to go on this errand with or what? Not even an errand, but like running around the yard with or whatever. Also, she's probably not going to feel super comfortable saying, hey, take my baby, my toddler, and my six-year-old and like go to the park. Like that's also kind of a big leap. But like um, strategically dividing and conquering or maybe like match up the five-month-old and the six-year-old so mom gets some one-on-one time with the two-year-old. Like what's Mm -hmm. the way you can use this that it really works for you and that, you know, also depending on your kids' personalities and um, how ready or tolerant they would be of the situation. Like what helps you? I guess is my question. Is it like that you need your hands free from the baby so you can cook? Maybe these mother's helpers are literally in the other room playing with your baby so you can cook, which is very different from I want someone to take my two and a half year old and my six year old out in the mucky yard and deal with getting their stuff on them and off them when they come back in so that I can have a little time to like lay down, you know, take a little nap or something. I think it's like the world's your oyster, but but it's going to take you some time to figure it out. I think it's going to take some experimentation and I. It's funny because now I'm the mom of a 12 and 14 year old. So I'm also thinking about this from the learning perspective of the mother's helpers. And just when your kids are little, 12 and 14 feels like you might feel like you're dealing with little mini adults. You know, maybe you're going to pay them or maybe you're like they're making the schedule with you. And I would encourage you to remember that 12 and 14 year olds themselves are children who are learning to take responsibility. And so what I might suggest, like Megan said, is to pick a finite amount of responsibility each time they come over and just give it a try. So mm. this time, and maybe not not assign too much out, not give them too much credit initially. Like this time, your job is to play outside with the two older kids. Or yeah. this time, your job is to watch the baby together. Two preteens, two young teenagers yeah on a baby because maybe that's what you're going to try this time. I think. And keep it short and keep, keep it really it short. short. Yeah. Um, the 12 and 14 might need more specific instructions than you think. Even the most, it sounds like they are big siblings themselves and they're probably really excited. Um, but they only know how they do things in their own house. They don't have any world experience. So if you say, um, Oh, can you clean up the lunch dishes or whatever? You might have to, provide very specific instructions, but what a cool learning opportunity for those 12 and 14 year olds. And what amazing babysitters you could help sort of develop them into because a 14 versus a 16 versus a 17, like they're, if they stay in your neighborhood, they could become a real asset for your family. Yeah. So I feel like this was not a lot of specific advice, but what I'm hearing from Noel is like, she wants to do it right and do it perfectly or do it best. And I would mm-hmm. just say like, like you said, Megan, they fell into your lap. You're no worse for wear if you give it a try a couple times. Keep your expectations in line. And, <laughs> yeah. and know that it might be awkward. Sometimes yeah. hiring babysitters is awkward. Teenagers are awkward. Um, you might have to discuss things like payment or lack of payment or what's fair. And I don't know, I'm in a phase of life where I'm just sort of like moving through awkward. Like, let's let's just be awkward so that we can get to the other side of this and have some awesome neighbor relationships that turn out with great babysitters and great, great friends and mentors for your kids. You know, and I don't know that this isn't really advice, but I'm thinking about when I was that age, like 12, 13, 14, and was reading the Babysitters Club Uh a lot, how much I learned. And I grew up in a daycare. My mom ran a daycare out of our home from the time I was six till I was about 12. So I had a lot of hands-on childcare experience. 
But I remember learning so much from those books about how to be a good babysitter. Yeah. Like, I just remember being like, oh, right, that's a great idea. Like, yeah. do this activity or whatever. I don't even remember now. It's been a long time since I've read those books. Um, but, like, even, like, they, they will learn things that you think you might assume they would know as 12 and 14-year-olds, but maybe have never occurred yeah. to them. And I don't know, like, maybe have them watch the show with you. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. They're not your kids. You can't do that. But it just made me think of that, like how much learning there is to be to do yes. about something as simple as playing with a six year old or a two and a half year old or, you know, let alone holding a baby. Yeah, I agree. And I, I don't I'm not sure if I answered Noelle's one of her questions, which was, have we utilized teenage babysitters in the past? And you answered that, Megan. I have never used a mother's helper, but I wish I had. So I definitely would jump on this opportunity it wasn't available to me. I have had babysitters as young as about 13, 14 at different times. And it just depended on the age of my kids. I remember we had one really awesome. She, she must have been in eighth grade. She was like, like a young 14. But my oldest child was a toddler. And all she had to do was come over, play with her for a little bit and put her to bed. And she did it. She put a toddler to bed, which now that I look back, I'm like, that was pretty impressive. But it was only she was she only had one kid to deal with. I later tried a couple of 15, 16 year old teenage babysitters when I had three kids that didn't go very well. Mm. So since you have three kids, Noelle, I think just remember that like this sounds so obvious, but three kids is a lot different than one. And so utilizing that like man on man defense, so to speak, uh, with the mother's helpers that they may not be ready for multiple kids yet, but you might help develop them and teach them if they're one on one. Well, and they might and they might also really surprise you. I mean, yeah. people like to talk about this like back in my day, but back in my day, yeah. it truly was very routine for 12 year olds to babysit entire families worth of kids. I did it a lot. Did it always go well? No, no. <laughs> there are some times I think back and I'm like, I cannot believe these parents left me with their kids. There were other times when it was just fine yep. where I would babysit maybe like a a family, you know, with like a one-year-old and a four-year-old. And I would just like put them to bed and watch TGIF, yep. which um, I don't think exists anymore. But like that, it was no hassle, no stress. Um, the kids were fine. They were safe. They loved me. Like it was great. And so we've even talked about on the show before, Sarah, that sometimes that 12, 13, 14-year-old um, age range for a sitter is ideal because they don't have, they're not driving. They don't probably have like, um, I don't know, like a lot of, a big social yeah. life. They're not totally addicted to their phones yet. Yeah, maybe right. they're like they like little kids. Yeah, like they're into it, and they're into it in a way that they sometimes. I was not as good of a babysitter when I was like sixteen yeah, as I was agreed. when I was twelve. Agreed, so. totally. Yeah. All right. Well, good luck, Noel. It's not about doing it perfectly or right. It's just, just, just do it. Just do it. Yeah. All right. Well, this was really fun, Megan. Thanks everybody for listening and for sending in your questions. You can always email us listener questions to hello at the momhour.com. If you have advice you want to add or disagree with us and offer different advice for any of these questions, the best places to hang out are our Facebook group or our Instagram community. And you'll see people kind of chiming in and adding to the conversation there. So hang out with us there if you're not already. And we will be back with everybody soon. Talk to you later. The Mom Hour is brought to you by partners like Chatbooks. Chatbooks makes it beyond easy to create beautiful photo books by importing your digital photos from anywhere, Instagram, Facebook, Google Photos, or directly from your phone. 
The books come in a variety of sizes with beautiful cover options and binding styles to choose from, and they start at just $15. Plus, we have a great deal just for our listeners. Use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20% off your purchase. Just download the Chatbooks app and use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20%. Hey, everyone. We have a favor to ask. If you are an Apple Podcasts user, can you check really quickly to make sure you're still following the Mom Hour? Apple did one of their big software updates recently, and it changed a bunch of things about how you get the podcasts you're subscribed to. If Apple Podcasts is your podcast app of choice, all you have to do is find your way to our show page and then click the little plus sign or follow in the top right corner. Thanks so much.